Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and welcome. This is kind of a special edition of Civil Squared. As we come to the close of 2020, and uh, what a year it's been, I'm sure you would agree with me about that, we thought it would be a good idea to go back and look at some of the conversations we've had over the past year with uh, some amazing experts and some of the topics that we've considered. And of course, because of the kind of experts we've had on this show, one of the places we think we have a lot of really good clips that we can kind of round up for you is on the topic of how to engage in civil discourse and how to communicate with people uh, with whom you disagree. If we want 2021 to look different than 2020, particularly when it comes to you know, toxicity in political rhetoric, in disagreement, um, we thought, you know, that's going to depend on us being able to communicate better and more productively with people who maybe we're not communicating with now or the kind of communication we have is not great communication. So what we did here was go back and listen to our old episodes or our previous episodes. They're not really that old. And to think about what are the tips that we've used over and over again. And I can tell you honestly, whether it's in a subsequent episode of the podcast talking to a different expert or whether it's just in my day-to-day life, these are ideas and tips and suggestions that I have revisited throughout the year and that really have stuck with me. And there are things I've applied in conversations, but I would actually say that, you know, the applications tend not to be about political disagreements. Um, They're they're things that I can use just in day-to-day conversation with family, with friends, with my kids. Uh, Tips that are really helpful in making me change my attitude and my approach to conversation. And and I'm so glad that I've heard them and that I've learned them and I've been able to apply them. So I hope that as you listen to these, you will have the same experience. So one of the things I learned this year is that if you want to get very practical tools for how to improve your conversations and how to talk to people with whom you disagree, you should probably ask a psychologist. We had two guests this year who were absolutely fantastic in terms of giving us clear, useful strategies for improving our conversations. And the first one you're going to hear from is Tanya Israel, who's a professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Now, you might have seen Tanya somewhere or heard her somewhere this year besides the podcast. She had a book out called Beyond Your Bubble, How to Connect Across the Political Divide. And she was everywhere. She was on the Today Show. She was on the Calm app. Uh, She got a lot of coverage for this book. And so we were really fortunate to have her on. And what you're going to hear her talking about here is her early experiences with workshops um, that she attended and later ran herself to get people who had disagreements talking to one another. And what Tanya's going to talk about is all of the different things that can come out of those tough conversations and what we can learn. When I ask people 
what interests them about dialogue. Because I really started, before I did the book, I, I started by doing these workshops. Yeah. And I would ask people, what brings you to the workshop? Why are you here? And there were some very specific motivations that came up time and time again. A lot of people have someone in their lives who they want to stay connected with, but there's a you know difference of view in politics. Some people said, you know, I just can't understand how people think the way they do or vote the way they do or act the way they do. Some people say, you know, I want to find common ground. And, and then certainly some people do want to persuade other people. These were things that came up really commonly. And diatribe and debate, those are not actually going to meet those goals. That in order to meet those goals, really what we need is understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and so the way that I present dialogue is really is a way to get to that point of understanding and maintaining that connection with others. The other psychologist we talked to this year was Pamela Paresky. Dr. Paresky is a visiting lecturer at the University of Chicago. She writes for Psychology Today, and she has been involved in a lot of different projects. But she has a project she calls The Habits of a Free Mind. And you just heard Tanya talk about the value of dialogue, what we can get out of dialogue, the importance of being able to understand and improve our relationships with one another. Now you're going to hear Pamela talk about why one of the habits you need to cultivate if you want to have a free mind has to do with being able to connect to people with whom you disagree. If you think about a lot of the problems we faced in 2020, they were complex problems. And what Pamela believes is the more complex problems are, the more we really need to be able to talk across difference. And not only that, encounter difference. So here's Pamela talking about that. There's a whole sort of uh, group of people who are becoming increasingly concerned about our inability to have productive disagreements with ideological opponents. Um, And that becomes uh, more and more of of an issue as problems become more and more complex. Um, We really need to be able to um, engage with our ideological opponents in ways in which we get the best thinking from them and they get the best thinking from us so that we can, you know, in Judaism, there's this, this concept called machlochet, I can't even pronounce it, machlochet l'shem shamayim, which is arguing for the sake of heaven. And the, the fundamental premise of that is that your, um, your opponent, the person that you are having a dialogue with, who disagrees with you, um, first and foremost is a human being. And like, if we just started there, we would have, we would improve our conversations. That's not even a place where we are now. If, if somebody disagrees with something that someone feels very, very strongly about, especially something in the moral realm, it's um, grounds for sort of immediate um, vilification and even dehumanization. So that's fundamental number one in habits of a free mind is um, to have compassion for the people that you disagree with, um, to not dehumanize. So now both Tanya and Pamela have talked about the value of having conversations with people who hold different points of view than you do. 
Tanya had focused on connections and how productive dialogue can improve understanding and relationships. Pamela, on the other hand, has talked about the importance of disagreement and ideas that are in opposition to our own in terms of solving problems um, and giving us progress with all kinds of things in society. That all sounds great, but how do you do that in practice? So I'm going to play a clip for you from Pamela. And of all the conversations I had this year and all the people I talked to, I would say that what you're about to hear from Pamela is the piece of advice that I have come back to over and over and over again about bringing curiosity to these conversations. You don't have to agree with other people, but you do need to have some curiosity about how they came to their point of view. And I have challenged myself repeatedly to remember what Pamela has said here and to apply it to my conversations. So let's listen to Pamela. To those people, most of the people that we encounter in daily life are not people we absolutely revile. Um, they're people yeah. that we disagree with in, in some way. Uh, if they're not the people we love and like, they're people we don't know well and we may disagree with. We may agree with them and, and then it's easy to you know, not wish them harm. But, but the majority of the people that we encounter are not abhorrent, um, you know, horrific human beings. They're, they're just people who disagree. And they don't probably want us to suffer either. There's just the place where we get, where we forget that the people who uh, disagree with us on, on matters of fundamental importance to us are, are just as, one of the ways that I put it is that they're just as committed to a more perfect union as we are. They just see things differently. And if we don't allow ourselves the value of their perspective, then we're missing a huge amount of information that could be really helpful in solving problems. I think you said a couple of things there that are really important. One of which is so if somebody's listening to this and they think everything you just described about developing the habits of a free mind sounds really good, but when it the theory meets the practice of it, it's really hard for me, right? So they can think, you know, they can feel somewhat better about the fact that it's not unnatural or crazy when you hear a point of view you disagree strongly with to have sort of an immediate reaction of that's just wrong and that person's wrong. I mean, that's that's part of the way we are. Um, Two, it's not easy to get past that immediate reaction. It requires actual conscientious work to do it. Yep. And, and one of the methods for doing that, uh, another, you know, in addition to the compassion piece is curiosity, is to approach that person with a, a very deep level of curiosity. And, and so if you start with the compassion piece and you start with an assumption that this person is not evil, this person is not crazy, this person is not ignorant, and this person is not stupid, right? So imagine what someone who is intelligent, informed, and, you know, sane, and a, and a decent person, how could that person come to this very wrong conclusion. You don't even have to, at the beginning, be open-minded about whether they're wrong. You know, just assume they're wrong. 
And now be curious about how that person, given that they have those qualities, could come to this very wrong conclusion. That gives you a very different way of thinking about how to be curious about what that person uh, thinks and believes than if you thought, well, I'm curious to know how crazy this person is, or I'm curious about what they don't understand, or I'm curious about whether they have the capacity to even you know, come to the right conclusion if they had all the information. You know, those are the kinds of things where we, we sort of tend to think that way. We sort of tend to think only somebody who is not a decent person or only somebody who doesn't have all the information or only somebody who's not right you know so if we start from an assumption that that person is as smart as informed and as sane as we are and as decent a human being then the kind of curiosity that we have about how they came to that conclusion is completely different even without being open-minded about whether they might have a point Just be curious about how they could come to such a wrong conclusion. And that actually involves having some um, ability to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. So, and that's like an interesting expression that we've used for, you know, such a long time, put yourself in someone else's shoes. What does that really mean? It means to stand where they're standing so that you can see what they're seeing. Because if you think about it, a perspective is really what you can see from where you're standing. You can't see what's behind you if you're standing someplace and you can only see in the direction that you're looking. You would have to stand in a different way to see what's behind you. And if someone else is standing in a different place and looking at you, they have a different perspective than the perspective you have looking at them. So you would have to move over to their position and stand where they're standing. Another way of saying, you know, put yourself in their shoes, stand where they're standing in order to see what they're seeing. And then you're going to see something different than what you could see from your position. People often think that your perspective is something um, that gives you the position that you take. You know, you have a a perspective that's based on your education, your knowledge, your research, you know, all of these things go into your perspective, and then you take a position on something. But I think it might be more accurate to say that we take a position, and that gives us our perspective. Mm -hmm. We have to sort of mentally loosen ourselves from that position in order to see a different perspective. That's, That's sort of that practice of curiosity. And now you're going to hear Tanya's practical tips on how to have these conversations. And this is probably tied with what I love about Pamela's point on intellectual curiosity. Tanya's going to talk about the importance of listening and not listening so that you can, you know, run in with a great point and convince everybody of your perspective, but listening with a real heart for understanding. Here's Tanya. So that sense of curiosity, I think is probably one of the, you know, is is one of the most important foundations to all of this. Really, you have to want to know, you have to want to understand the other person. Uh, Some of the skills, and and I come to this as someone who's a psychologist and a professor, and I've been teaching helping skills for a long time. So after the 2016 election, when it was so clear how divided we were, I thought, oh, 
I know some things that might be helpful here. And people were saying we should be reaching across this divide, but I wasn't hearing a lot of how to do it. So I try to get really practical about it. And so in terms of practical skills, active listening is a really powerful tool. So active listening is what some people call listening to understand instead of listening to respond. So one of the things that we need to do with that is, first of all, give people an opportunity to speak without being interrupted. So giving people the space to do that. And while they're speaking, instead of in your mind thinking about the thing that you're going to say that will, you know, be the zinger and will contrast what they're saying and make your point so well, instead of doing that, trying to really focus on what are they saying and really understanding that. And so then when you respond, instead of responding with your view, you respond by summarizing back something of what you've heard them say. And the beauty of that kind of reflection is that it can both make sure that you actually understood them because you're saying something back, oh, so this is what I'm hearing or so you're thinking this. And if you've got it wrong, then they can correct you or they can elaborate on it. But the other thing that it does is it helps them to feel like you not only understand them, but you really care what they yeah. have to say. Yeah. And so it's, it's really a wonderful thing in terms of building that connection. I love what you say about uh, it's more important to simply be present for the conversation than it is to be brilliant. Because I do think particularly when we're talking about important political issues or any issues that are important to us, we get so hung up on, I want to tell you what I think, right? You talk, you know, about the zinger or the gotcha or whatever, that's particularly in political situations, but we feel so strongly about no, I have to make myself heard. And this really requires a kind of, not just patience, but um, self-control to stop and listen and the focus be hear what the other person is saying, even if you risk forgetting what you want to say or the moment passes where whatever it is you want to say. Um, that's the piece, I think, when you describe various tips and strategies where I think a lot of people could probably feel like, that is unnatural in a way. Um, you mentioned somebody who did talk to their teenage daughter and the teenage daughter called her out and said, I know what you're doing here, um, which I can imagine my daughter doing. Is, is that something, so when I think about that, I think the best way to practice that is with somebody that I know really well and also be willing to say to this person, hey, I want to practice this with you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the ideal in a way. Is there a sense in which people feel that that's artificial or, you know, having an explicit structure that we're thinking about, it's unnatural and you're somehow, I don't, it's not lying, you know, but I mean, do you, in these workshops that you run, do you find people saying, I'm not really being me, this is weird, you know, that kind of thing? What people are most concerned about with that is that, that it will sound weird to other people, you know, that, that, oh, if I, like, isn't it weird just to repeat back something that somebody said? Like, who who does that? But if you try it, and I think you're right, you know, trying it, and, and I always recommend this, in really low-stakes situations. So don't try it first in the big conflict, that, you know, or the person that you're expecting to have big conflict with, but try it first with somebody even 
a friend who you're just having a regular conversation with, they're talking about a problem maybe, and you reflect something back to them that they said. And what I found is that people love to be heard. You know, they, they love to be understood. They love to know that somebody's listening. And it's also striking to me how seldom we give that to each other. Yeah. In October, we had the opportunity to talk to the awesome Russ Roberts, the host of Econ Talk, a very popular podcast. Uh, that's selling Russ a little bit short because he's also an author. Uh, he is responsible for some really popular videos on YouTube that um, all of these things are directed at communicating about economics. Russ, because he has so much experience as a podcast host, uh, he's recorded over 700 episodes and a lot of people listen to him every week, has a lot of great tips about conversations. And in what follows, you are going to hear Russ say a version of what you just heard Tanya say, the importance of listening the importance of being focused on the person with whom you're talking. And in particular, Russ warns us against having too fixed an idea about where a conversation ought to go. It's a very subtle thing. You said, you know, it's not just what you want to get out of the conversation. And I think a lot of times we have a purposeful aspect to conversation. Let's say I'm, I'm negotiating a, a deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to get there's certain things I want to make sure I I get in the in the final negotiation, uh, or I might want to get your okay to do something. So I'm gonna maybe set you up with some kind thoughts to begin with, and then I'll do my ask, and that's my goals. Like I've, I've got to get her agreement. So a lot of conversations are like that, and there's like outside the business context, there's the oh I, I've got to tell them that story. I hope I get to tell that story. Or, you know, I just read this good, good book. I'm going to tell this person I'm having lunch with all about this good book. So I have that, those urges all the time. You know, I have a goal for the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I want to suggest, and then I will tie it into econ talk and, and just political conversation. I want to suggest that it's not always good to have a goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's sort of natural that we say, you know, I got to make sure I get the most out of this half an hour I have with so-and-so. But a lot of times... And in my experience, the best conversations come when I don't have a goal. Yeah. I'm going to go into this conversation, or even the other extreme, uh, I'm going to see what this person needs from me, and I'm going to give them that. And sometimes it's just attention. I'm just going to listen. Sometimes it's they need my thoughts on some question they're struggling with. And you know, if I'm really eager to get my two cents in, my turn, my alternative rant, I may miss that chance to connect with the person I'm talking to. And that's a real lost opportunity. So yeah. I just want to try, I just want to put your mind, I was teasing about, you know, you're being wrong or anything. It's not that. It's just sometimes in a, in a human context, having a goal is actually a mistake. Yeah. You don't want to have a goal. You want to say, I am open to what this half an hour, hour lunch or coffee encounter or Zoom call. I'm going to see what what comes of it? So if you follow Pamela, Tanya, and Russ's advice, you ought to be able to have a productive conversation, right? Well, there are things that can derail conversations. And we talked with Jordan Blaschek, who is a former Marine. He's a businessman. And he and a good friend of his, Chris Howe, 
took several road trips across the country. Now, what's interesting about those road trips are that Jordan and Chris are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. And their book, Union, A Democrat or Republican and a Search for Common Ground, covers these road trips and the struggles that Jordan and Chris went through to try and navigate their differences. Here's Jordan on the two things he thinks can really derail a conversation. Yeah, you know, I I think there are um, two things that tend to derail conversations, um, especially around politics. I I think one of those things is, is tribalism. It's when we feel like we have to defend our tribe. And that means we're not actually speaking as ourselves. We're, we're speaking on behalf of some other entity, um, some of which, you know, the policy positions of which we might agree with some, we might disagree with others, but no matter what, we have to just defend this thing. And we found that that always derailed our conversations. And then second is when there is a performative element to it. And that's like someone's watching or it's, it's over social media. And we, we noticed this, especially, um, at the Trump rally in Phoenix that we talk about in the yeah. book where, yep. you know, whenever the spotlights or camera was nearby, people were performing and they were, they were trying to show off for the camera. They were engaging in rhetoric that they would never engage in if they were sort of in a more reasoned um, uh, sort of calm setting. But when you got away from the cameras, you could see people having real conversations. And I, I think that's true in ordinary life when, when it's just two people talking as friends, uh, either at a dinner table or in a car together, you can have a different kind of conversation than if a bunch of people are watching. Because at that point, it does become a little more zero sum. It's like, well, you know, did he have the better point or did she, you know, win the argument? Um, and at that point, we, you know, emotions flare and, and you end up getting into a more tit for tat, like who's, you know, who's going to win kind of debate yeah. versus an exchange. And sometimes it's okay not to have a conversation. One of Tanya Israel's points in her book is that dialogue should be an opportunity, not a mandate. You don't have to talk to everybody who disagrees with you. Here's Tanya with some thoughts about when it's okay to say, we're not going to have this conversation. It's also important that if people feel like they're in a situation where the other person is not interested in dialogue, um, or if they feel like it's a situation where it's actually unsafe, you know, then it then it makes it very hard to have dialogue. So, so I I think it's important for people to know their motivations and also be able to assess the situation to know if this is the appropriate time for this. Yeah, and sometimes maybe you need to say no, I'm not going to have this conversation, or we're never going to have this conversation because I'm assessing both about myself or something about the other person. We're never going to have the right set of circumstances to have the kind of productive dialogue. There are people who are actually very upset about the idea of dialogue too. (laughs) So, you know, they feel like, oh, that's not what we should be doing. We should just be fighting for our side and we shouldn't be sitting down with them and all of this. And and so for those people, I say, well, this is not for you. Yeah. Um, that's okay. I'm not going to argue with people and try to convince them that everybody should be doing this. But the, I think that there are enough people who would like to be doing this, but need some help and support to get there. And one of the really encouraging things is that there's a lot of groups out there that are actually setting up opportunities for people to have dialogue. So I I think that there's so much that's really encouraging that's showing us that there are people who want to do this, but the people who don't want to, we, we don't need to bring them into.
I feel really fortunate to have a job where I get to talk to smart people about big ideas all the time. And um, you just heard four people out of a whole bunch of people that I had the opportunity to talk to this year. And these these folks are uh, focused on discourse, on dialogue, on conversations, how to make them better, how to make them more productive, and what can derail those conversations and when it's okay not to have those conversations. And I think when I review these clips, um, one, I think, well, you really should go listen to the whole episode because there's so, so much more that these great people have to say that I think is instructive, that has made me think differently about the way I approach conversations and the way I approach people who I really disagree with. But I think the other thing is that as we think about the challenges that 2020 have brought to us all, it's a great idea to think about 2021 being different. And no one person can change everything in the world, but we can change some of the small things about our own habits and our own thinking about how we interact with other people, and especially with those people who maybe we're not so excited about talking to. I think all of the people in this episode have some great tips. I think all of them also believe that we each have it in us to bring intellectual curiosity, humility, and an openness to making things better to the conversations we have. And so my hope for you in the new year is that you will be able to do that and you will have better discussions and better relationships as a result of it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.